Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. Hello, my name is Greg Monteith, and welcome to the third of three episodes discussing the White Horse Inn podcast, Do All Paths Lead to God? As I mentioned previously, the White Horse Inn podcast that I'm examining was posted in the Untangling Christianity Facebook group as an example of how Christians respond well to non-Christians, how they engage thoughtfully, on point, and respectfully with non-Christians. It is in this vein that I've been offering my response to the White Horse Inn podcast, Do All Paths Lead to God? In the previous two episodes, I offered examples of how I actually find that the White Horse Inn podcasters do not engage well with non-Christians and do not approach non-Christians in a way that demonstrates an understanding of or respect for their views. This final episode in this series is longer and more in-depth than the previous two because I'm going to present the core issues that I found problematic in terms of the White Horse in perspective and explain how these issues make it all the more difficult for Christians to engage productively with non-Christians. So I offered two other cases, two specific cases in the past uh, episode. The third case I'm going to offer now concerns how the presenters understand the role of personal experience in presenting Christianity to outsiders. Or more specifically, how in the view of the White Horse Inn podcasters, personal experience is not important for presenting Christianity to outsiders. In fact, it gets in the way. So all of the presenters take the strong position that the case for Christianity should be made on the truthfulness of its doctrines and theological content alone, and not colored by the personal experiences of individual Christians. The implication for non-Christians is that when they are not offered the personal experiences of Christians, when they are not uh, informed why a particular view or a particular belief makes sense or is compelling for that person, they're left without the necessary truth values to evaluate the truth claims that Christians make. And as I mentioned last episode, many important Christian truth claims have a significant experiential component to their supporting truth values. Without this experiential content, Christianity simply does not make sense. I will present the podcaster's views on this matter before responding with my own. One reason they advocate ignoring personal experience when presenting Christianity is that they claim focusing on experience risks being perceived as arrogant, as one presenter explains at the 6 minute 45 mark. Quote, The only reason we hold to these things, being Christianity, is because we are convinced that they are true, not because we think that this is a better way of living and you ought to live the way I live. If we say this, then we sound very arrogant. End quote. They go on to argue at the 7 minute 30 second mark that offering one's experience makes the discussion deeply personal, and that since no one can identify with another person's experience, this means no common ground can be developed. By contrast, they argue at the 9 minute 35 mark, quote, I'm presenting these arguments. I hope that they persuade you. Let us both submit to, to reality, end quote. The presenters return to this general idea from the 23-minute mark through the 25-minute mark. 
claiming that by communicating biblical knowledge to outsiders, Christians can engage in real conversations rather than, than simply exchanging what they call autobiography. The result is that we avoid heated conversations by steering clear of what they call the realm of unassailable experience. This seems to include at least religious experiences, which the presenters describe as experiences that Christians cherish, but, quote, have no reason for believing, end quote. Bypassing these experiences then allows all parties to, quote, put all their cards on the table, end quote, and examine them together. Also, in the speaker's view, Christian testimony is not giving one's own testimony, but is testifying to the truth of, quote, the person, work, and life of Jesus of Nazareth, quote. Only the apostles could have offered, and again, a quote, their personal test experiences of, as, as their testimony, but instead the apostles offered objective claims, their words, rather than the subjective claims of personal experience. Here, the quote, the presenters mentioned that objective claims are two plus two equals four, or this is what happened, period, versus this is what happened to me. The speakers reinforced the idea at the 27 minute 35 second mark, where they note that when you tell someone that you are, quote, interested in the truth, not religion, this disarms them, end quote. Similarly, Christians should avoid speaking in the first person or stating, what I believe, and simply offer, here's what Christians believe, or this is what Christianity says. They further explain at the 28, 22nd mark that we should ground any first-person comments in the third person. Otherwise, our listeners will think, quote, you had a nice experience at communion. Isn't that nice for you? End quote. In my view, there are at least three basic flaws in the approach taken by the White Horse podcasters and they are all fatal flaws. By fatal, I mean that they undermine the Christian message that the podcasters desire to communicate and disenfranchise non-Christians, the audience to whom the podcasters seek to communicate this message. The first flaw is that their presentation of the Christian message overvalues the Bible and the importance of biblical truth and both undervalues experience and the importance of love and further overemphasizes the uniqueness of experience while de-emphasizing the shared nature of experience. The second flaw is that the podcasters unjustifiably detach truth claims from their corresponding truth values, to the point that they appear to view Christian truth claims as comprising their own truth values, or containing their own truth values, as if such a thing were possible. The third flaw is that the podcasters take an unnecessarily polarized view of human capacities, resulting in an overly limited view of typical human capability, particularly of human sense perception, imagination, emotion, memory, interpretation, etc. Believing, in other words, that typical human perspectives are purely subjective and therefore of no or low value, while those of biblical authors and persons are purely objective and so of full or high value. These three flaws are related by the fact that they all represent overstating or prioritizing certain notions to the detriment of others, when, in fact, both are not only interrelated, but necessary. And so, both require proper integration 
and deserve equal weight. All of the above are also informed by a philosophical perspective that overly simplifies how we know things and is overly optimistic, in my view, about how fully we can assess the things that we try to know. So here are my replies to the podcaster's comments, point by point. First, to their comment that, quote, the only reason we hold to these things is because we are convinced that they are true, not because we think that this is a better way of living and you ought to live the way I live. If we say this, then we sound very arrogant, end quote. A major reason, I would say, however, for becoming a Christian is the claim that by doing so, people live better, by becoming their best selves. Or as John's gospel describes it, they live abundantly by being in right relationship with God. Thus, for example, when people ask me why I am a Christian or what I value in Christianity, the answer is obvious. I understand my capabilities and weaknesses better. I'm a better choice maker. And especially, my life is more satisfying than it was in the past. And as a result of these things, my Christian claims appear more legitimate to those outside of Christianity. So I soundly disagree with the podcasters, the White Horse Inn podcasters, when they say that the only reason that they hold to these things is because they are convinced that they are true and not because we think that this is a better way of living and that this would sound arrogant. I believe Christianity is true in part because I live better, in other words. So through being in right relationship with God, I am a renewed and fuller person. I am developing into the person that I most and best can be. Fully myself in terms of personality, fully Christ-like in terms of character. This is not the arrogance of insisting others should do what I do, but the excitement and joy of being a better me today than I was yesterday. Further, sharing such information is not simply helpful to others, but it is essential to me. It's just like uh, being renewed and healed through receiving good medical treatment or therapy. This is a source of joy and peace that I am so happy to share with others. So what's particularly shocking to me is that the White Horse Inn podcasters completely miss this perspective on the matter. Why are you Christians? Why do you believe if there is no present impact? And if there is, why is this not something to shout about? The Bible indicates that this indeed should be the case. So do we disregard the numerous indications in Paul's writings and in the Gospels that close association with Jesus and devotion to God is a source of joy and peace? Or that being in a love relationship with God is the most fulfilling situation imaginable? This is a message, in other words, that must be shared, yet ironically is often eclipsed by an excessive focus on the Bible and on biblical truth. And this leads to my second point. Second, I see in the podcaster's approach too much truth, too little little love. In other words, in my view, they have fixed truth, and particularly biblical truth, hierarchically above love, and particularly the experience of being in a love relationship with God. Both love and truth are essential to human well-being and to the Christian God's nature, yet the white horse presenters focus overwhelmingly on biblical truth. What is more, they devalue experience, which is the very realm where God's love is palpable. Further, they take the naive and I would say unsupported view that no one can identify with another person's experience, and so no common ground can be developed by discussing experience. This is ridiculous. We are all human beings, sharing the same created world, the same senses and faculties, the same longings and fears. 
The fact that no one's experience is identical to another's is not the same at all as saying that we cannot relate to, value, learn from, and even be persuaded by another person's experience, particularly where that experience pertains to the truth value of a given biblical truth claim. Stated differently, the podcaster's approach to lived experience actually undermines their highest goal of communicating biblical truths such that they can be heard and maybe even be compelling. And it leaves non-Christians hanging when it comes to having critical information, the necessary truth values, in other words, that certain Christian truth claims obviously require in order to make sense, let alone to appear persuasive or compelling. So while many people do hold their religious experience to be unassailable, this is due to poor Christian teaching rather than a quality inherent to experience itself. Indeed, in the same way that Christians as, if you will, people of the book, should become good readers and interpreters of the Bible, so too they should be good readers and interpreters of themselves and their experience. As a result, we may determine that some of our cherished religious experiences are really not what we made them out to be. Yet embracing the fullness of who one is and be being competent to understand and communicate all of it well, rather than either uh, disdaining or perhaps idolizing my personal experience of engaging with God. And then, as we become full and robust people who offer an authentic picture of humanity to those outside of the faith, and so we are able to offer stories of experience, both our own and those of others through testimony, that make enough sense to make outsiders think and maybe even to be persuasive to them. In this way, putting all of the cards on the table, if you will, to use their term, is not an, ex an intellectual exercise. That, after all, would hardly be all my cards. I am much more than my intellect. And engaging with Christianity is much more than being presented with arguments. So while biblical knowledge, knowledge about God, is important, as Augustine notes in his De Doctrina Christiana, or Teaching Christianity, in the, as is the, um, the English title, knowledge about God is secondary to knowing God or understanding God through the experience of being in right relationship with God. Interestingly, most cases where I see an undue emphasis on biblical truth and knowledge and a naive view of human experience and underrepresentation of God's love I also find an undue emphasis on God as sovereign and, I would say, a practical disregard of God as Father. I also encountered too much emphasis on salvation and too little on creation. If you listen to the White Horse Inn podcast, Do All Roads Lead to God, I think it will be clear that these two imbalances I mention here are also present in the podcast content. My third point by way of response is that given what I've demonstrated above or before, it's not surprising that the White Horse podcasters misconstrue and I think denigrate the testimony of, if you will, regular Christians. So the notion that Christian testimony is not giving one's own testimony, but is testifying to the truth of, as they quote, as they said, the person, work, and life of Jesus of Nazareth, that is utterly confused. It is based on a debilitated notion of experience and, in my view, an inadequate understanding of how Christians should be skilled readers 
of not only the Bible, but also their own experience. So the accounts of the apostles are not claiming that this is what happened, period, versus this is what happened to me. The Bible offers clear indication of the truthfulness of these accounts, but nothing indicating that they are somehow objective. People don't cease to be people and take some sort of almost godlike perspective. Instead, the indication is that these particular interpretations, that's what they are, interpretations, from various subjective human viewpoints are to be accounted as the best rendering of the events and their significance. And by the best, I mean not simply containing something that contains sufficient historical accuracy, but which has significant creative artistry and deliberate rhetorical power with the intention not only of informing, but of moving and ultimately persuading the reader or listener. An intention clearly shared by the White Horse podcasters. So just as the podcasters disassociated living better from the proof of the very truth claims that they are communicating, so too they misunderstand that offering examples of how God has acted in one's own life only makes sense as a story, one, about God, two, told from my perspective, and three, concerning events in my life. This is what Christian testimony is. And this leads neatly into my fourth point. Fourth, contrary to the way that the podcasters contrasted the apostles' testimony with that of every other person, no human can have fully objective, can be fully objective, and no human is purely subjective. If, for example, we did not have a sufficiently objective view of the world to see a wolf or a death-capped mushroom for what they are, no one would be alive very long. Similarly, if any human could be objective, truly so, then this person would not make mistakes and would not need to interpret. She or he would know things as they are, just as God does. Yet fallibility and finitude, like fallenness, are hallmarks of Christianity. And they were also hallmarks of the apostles. In the same way, testimony of ordinary Christians is not simply subjective, nor is testimony of an apostle purely objective. Neither stance accurately reflects human capabilities and limitations. Here again, we see an undue emphasis on the Bible. By elevating the apostles' testimony to a superhuman level and a diminished, diffuse view of experience, by debasing the ordinary Christian's testimony to hopeless hearsay. Further, confusing objectivity and subjectivity with a claim to truthfulness further misconceives the very role of testimony. Testimony is a situated subjective story that both represents the experiential truth value for important truth claims and it promotes a particular interpretation of the matter as being the most trustworthy rendering of the events and their significance. A particular interpretation of the matter is promoted as being the most trustworthy rendering of the events and their significance. This is Christian testimony. The fifth point, and the final one I'll make before I move on to another topic, is that continuing with their negative view of experience and what I see as an unrealistic emphasis on objectivity, the podcasters claim that Christians should present Christianity to non-Christians by speaking in the third person, not in the first person. So Christians should say things like, here's what Christians believe, or this is what Christianity says. 
Only once Christians have grounded their presentation of Christianity in some form of neutral or objective third-party presentation can Christians begin to speak in the first person, offering what Christianity, if you like, means to me. Without beginning in the third person, the podcasters claim that non-Christian listeners will simply think, oh, you just had a good communion, a good experience at communion. How nice for you. And that's quoting again from the 28 minute 45 mark. I certainly agree. By way of response, I certainly agree that understanding Christianity is necessary, though it is primarily necessary for me. In other words, if I do not understand Christianity well enough, then why on earth am I a Christian? Next, notions like, here's what Christians believe, or this is what Christianity says, are actually misleading. For as everyone knows, there are many flavors of Christian belief, and thus many views on what Christianity is about. Now, many Christians would say that there are certain core tenets of Christianity that all Christians would agree upon. Yes, maybe so. But, and it's a big but, all Christians would not agree on how to interpret and apply these tenets. For instance, all Christians may agree that God is love and that Christians are to love their neighbors and enemies, but this love has been demonstrated in very different ways, for example, by the Baptist church where I used to live versus the Evangelical Covenant Church in the same area, let alone by churches like Westboro Baptist or the Crystal Cathedral. So presenting Christianity in the third person is simply not possible. On the one hand, this is because there is no single Christian perspective to which all Christians can appeal. That should be obvious. On the other hand, it is also impossible because any understanding of Christianity is actually an interpretation. In fact, it is, ironically, my interpretation of what I think Christianity is about. So here, this comes very comes back very close to presenting in the first person, only we fool ourselves into thinking that we're somehow being objective. A more honest approach would be to say, this is what my church teaches, or this is what I've been taught to say. As I've argued earlier, we cannot avoid the personal aspect of our beliefs, and offering what your church believes where you were taught, can quickly turn personal. So questions could be asked such as, why do you believe what your church believes? Or what makes you think that what you've been taught is true? Yet there is a further and more complicated issue here, one that returns to my original critique of the White Horse Inn podcasters as not understanding non-Christians, and so not relating to them on their terms. Specifically, engaging outsiders about Christianity is not simply presenting facts following a formula or a recipe, accompanied by a few personal anecdotes. But instead, it involves first, understanding the general culture of those outside of Christian belief, and second, properly interpreting each specific engagement with outsiders on the basis of what could be called practical wisdom. A good introduction to my point is Francis Schaeffer's comment. This is a longer quote. Quote, Our theological seminaries hardly ever relate their theology to philosophy and specifically to the current philosophy. Thus, students go out from the theological seminaries not knowing how to relate Christianity to the surrounding worldview. It is, not, it is not that they do not know the answers. My observation is that most students graduating from our theological seminaries do not know the questions. End quote. That is from He Is There and He Is Not Silent, page 3, and that was written in 1972. There are a number of points to draw from the above comment. First, theological students become church pastors, 
And if pastors are ignorant of how to engage well with non-Christian society, then church parishioners will be all the more so. Second, and more importantly, being grounded in both philosophy and theology, to use Schaeffer's terms, means understanding not only how others view the world, but why they view it as they do. Specifically, in a post-Holocaust, post-Rwanda, post-modern world, we cannot proceed like, for instance, Paul did on Mars Hill in Acts 17. In this context, Paul was communicating with a population who were almost entirely ignorant of Jesus and the message of Christianity. Further, he was communicating to a culture that was far more open than ours, and one that was fundamentally different. And the main difference is that Paul was dealing with a culture of belief, where skepticism was present, but not overwhelming. Whereas now we are dealing with an overwhelming culture of suspicion and even apathy, where belief is rare. The point is that Paul needed to communicate content first. He needed to communicate basic facts to introduce Christianity to those who had never heard of it before. In the 21st century, however, everybody already knows everything about Christianity. Now, Christians will immediately object. Many non-Christians think that they have the whole picture when in fact they have a partial picture, or they believe that they know what Christianity is about, but they are missing key information or mistaken on pieces. Let me be 100% clear. These objectives may, and in many cases, undoubtedly are, completely valid. But this does not change the fact that approaching outsiders from the perspective that they are under or misinformed is setting oneself up for failure. The issue here, and again, it's a big one, is that the reigning suspicion towards Christianity will never be overcome by more or better information. This is because suspicion as an interpretive grid is a way of seeing that is aimed not at a belief's content, but at its practitioner's actions. This has two implications. First, as philosopher and Christian Merrill Westfall points out in his book, Suspicion and Faith, Christians should respond to skepticism by refuting it with fact, but respond to suspicion, by and large, by listening and accepting. Specifically, suspicion is aimed at uncovering self-deceit, the very thing that the Bible is so keen on detailing and continually denounces. So by accepting the criticism of suspicion and examining where and how it is true, rather than resisting it, Christians are, to use the White Horse Inn podcaster's words, submitting ourselves to reality. The second implication of the Christian's actions being under fire, and not his or her beliefs per se, is that Christians need to earn the right to speak by showing outsiders that they are, if you will, real human beings. In other words, where part of the accusation lodged against Christians is that they are disconnected from real life, demonstrated in part by the fact that they, are con that they continually misunderstand non-Christians while claiming that they understand them well and relate to them well. But in the, in the context of them being disconnected from real life, Christians begin a conversation with outsiders not by talking about God and Christianity, but by demonstrating how their faith plays out in real life and how it makes sense in that context. So this comes, if you will, full circle, as it connects with my earlier comments about needing to offer my experience of God and of how I become my best self through being in right relationship with God as evidence or as the truth value for key Christian truth claims.
The particulars of how we go about doing this are important, but there's not space in this episode to discuss them. So let me then just restate. In what is predominantly a culture of suspicion, Christians cannot proceed by telling things about Christianity first and only showing how what we said can be validated in real life second. This worked for Paul on Mars Hill, but it is not the approach that can, adre- that can address today's widespread suspicion. Instead, today we need to go back to kindergarten. In other words, we need to show and then tell. Not tell and show. We need to show and then tell. We need to show Christianity and show ourselves as Christians to be valid and real. And only then can we earn a hearing. Only then can we tell non-Christians about Christianity in a way that addresses how non-Christians may either be mis- or under-informed about Christian truth claims or biblical information. And if show and tell, not tell and show, is the order of the day, then all the more so experience and how we handle it is just as crucial as biblical knowledge. Experience and how Christians handle it is just as crucial as having biblical knowledge. The fourth and final point that I want to raise then, when referring to truth claims particularly, the White Horse Inn podcasters take two approaches that I find to be problematic, and these two approaches turn out to be linked. First, at numerous points throughout the podcast, they refer to the Christian truth claim, as though Christianity is only claiming one single thing to be true. For instance, at minute marks 610, 1110, 1133, 1315, and 1715, the presenters refer to the Christian, Christian truth claim in the singular. They overtly link this notion of one single truth claim at minute mark 1420 to, quote, Jesus being the only way, end quote. And this is linked to the second point that I want to highlight where at the 424 mark, a presenter mentions that, quote, when it comes to Christianity, it all hangs on whether Christ was raised from the dead. And if he was, then everyone should be a Christian. If not, nobody should be, end quote. All the presenters seem to agree that this is the most important truth claim, and perhaps, again, this is the truth claim that they are referencing when they're talking about it in the singular. The issue that I take is that this is precisely the salvation-first or salvation-focused approach that I've been arguing against in the Integration Project. Specifically, asserting that, quote, if Jesus was raised from the dead, then everyone should be a Christian, or that, quote, Jesus' resurrection is Christianity's key truth claim, quote, is like telling a joke by telling only its punchline and then expecting people to laugh. Of course they won't. The punchline only acts as a punchline. That is, it only has its punchline effect of revealing what is really the case and reversing expectations when situated in the context of a relevant introduction. In other words, a joke only makes you laugh because of the punchline, but the joke only makes sense and and can only be a joke when the punchline is preceded by a relevant, appropriate introduction. Each is different, but both are essential. So just like it's nonsense to tell a punchline apart from the joke's introduction and then expect people to laugh, so separating Jesus' resurrection from its context and then claiming that, quote, everyone should be a Christian because Jesus is raised from the dead is disjointed and nonsensical. Theologically, 
abstracting salvation from creation should feel uncomfortable because it's contradictory, like a torso in midair unsupported by legs. Practically, this should prompt confusion and doubt because it's partial and unsupported. So what? People might ask. What does this matter? Where's the proof? My point becomes obvious when I say this to Christians because their immediate response would be to explain why Jesus' resurrection is important. Now, let's be clear again. I'm not saying simply that the presenters should have given more theological context to explain Jesus' resurrection. I'm arguing, or more biblical context, I'm arguing that the key truth claim in Christianity is actually not Jesus' resurrection. Instead, Jesus' resurrection is variously the evidence for, the means for, and the confirmation of the real key truth claims of Christianity. Claims plural. So what are the key Christian truth claims? Again, to return to what I've been arguing in the Integration Project, the key truth claims of Christianity are no different than the main focus of the Christian Bible. Now here again, most Christians would say that the main focus of the Bible is God and or God and Jesus. No, this is only part of the picture. Indeed, God's interaction with humanity being core to Christianity does not make sense in light of an understanding of the Bible where God and Jesus are the main focus. Instead, and simply put, the main focus of the Bible and the main truth claims of Christianity concern three interrelated pieces. One, who and what human beings are. Two, who and what God is. And three, the reasons for means by which and results of right human relationship between humans and God. So, once again, three interrelated pieces, who and what God is, who and what human beings are, and the reasons for, means by which, and results of right relationship between humans and God. For example, only in the context of God being good and the relationship and relationship with God being beneficial to humans, does it possibly make sense that Jesus' resurrection is a positive thing? If the Christian God were instead like the Greek god Zeus or the Mesopotamian god Marduk, then Jesus being raised from the dead would be more bad news for humanity. But only, yet only in the context of the benefits of this relationship also accruing to human beings here and now, does engaging in this relationship help validate Yet only in the context of the benefits of this relationship also accruing to human beings here and now in the present reality, does engaging in this relationship help validate that such a being as the Christian God actually exists? Thus, showing God's goodness is a crucial step in presenting the viability of Christianity to outsiders, and hence my point previously about the importance of experience and the importance of love. In other words, Christianity's main truth claims, plural, concern why, or on what basis, what right relationship with God is essential to right human living. And thus, these truth claims focus on human nature, divine nature, and the implications of rightly and wrongly relating the two. Then, secondarily, biblical truth claims concern how this right relating is done what actions, orientations, and commitments are necessary to realizing and maintaining proper relationship. Jesus' resurrection and life are essential to facilitating right relationship with God. 
on a number of levels. But the resurrection in itself is not the Bible's or Christianity's key truth claim, let alone its single only truth claim. Once again, only by rightly relating creation and salvation will Christians rightly situate their faith relative to life, experience, and living in the real world. Failing to do so, like telling the punchline without the introduction, is pointless. And given that, well, pointless is exactly how outsiders typically see Christianity, the points that I have been arguing here are exactly, in my opinion, what Christians need to consider if they want their faith to have real, robust, and satisfying results, such that their lives and how they live them will also act as authentic examples that show, coming back to the show and tell, that show non-Christians that Christianity is legitimate and open the possibility for authentic dialogue, wherein Christians can tell others about their faith in a way that outsiders can really hear. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, Send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.